So Congress has been hard at work. We're proud of them, aren't we, Beth? Mm -hmm. I'm so proud. I will not let perfect be the enemy of the good. That's exactly right. And they aren't either. And we applaud you. We applaud you, Congress. Not something we get to do here a lot on Pantsuit Politics. And I like this new era. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. We're back. It is so good to be back together after our July break here at Pantsuit Politics. Beth, it's so lovely to see and hear and be with you again. It's lovely to see and hear and be with you as well. I feel like you said we're back ominously. <laughs> and I feel like, oh, okay, we are back. I am glad to get my feet on the ground and some structure and routine in my life mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. chance to like process all of the news that I have continued to read and feel kind of anxious about during July because I wasn't getting it processed here. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you've been enjoying our summer series. We will share the final episode this Friday. It's a conversation about political conflict in workplaces and local communities. And we are so appreciative of all the listeners who shared their stories so vulnerably and made this series what it is. And we hope it's been helpful to all of you. If you have been taking a break from your regular podcast consumption and have missed some of what we've created recently, our newsletter is a really good way to catch up. You can subscribe on our website to get our Friday email. It includes updates on everything we're doing, notes from our team, some really wonderful notes from the community of people who listen to the podcast as well. Maggie does an incredible job putting that together. We know you'll enjoy it. It's only once a week. So if you aren't subscribed already, head over to PantsyPoliticsShow.com and get connected with us. And this is an excellent opportunity for me to say thank you for the Friday newsletter this week, which was an ode to Sarah for my birthday. Oh, my. I was not expecting it. I just kind of opened it on a whim and stuck in my email. Then I was a blubbery mess. Thank you so much to you, Beth, and Maggie and Elise for the incredibly, I mean, sweet, kind, thoughtful, loving words for me on my birthday. And thanks to all the listeners who reached out and sent me birthday wishes and gratitude. It just, it really was lovely. And happy birthday to you, since we're still in your celebratory window. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You get like a whole week, I think. At I least. think you get a whole a week, maybe a month, depending on the on how big of a birthday it is. I'm enjoying 41. Are you are you feeling 41 so far? Yeah, I think that I think being in my 40s is going to be my decade. We're here. We're here. Yeah. All right, we're gonna. Get started. Up next, tackling all the things we missed throughout the month of July. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. 
It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. That probably wasn't 100% accurate. We're not going to tackle everything that happened during the month of July, but we're going to do our best. It's quite a list. We're going to do our best. And, of course, we are going to start with our beloved home state of Kentucky, which experienced tragic, tragic flooding over the weekend. Now, let's do a little Kentucky geography. I live in far western Kentucky on the border of Illinois and Missouri, and we had terrible tornadoes last December. And I live in northern Kentucky, close to the Ohio border, and we have been mercifully safe during the Mm -hmm. tragedies that Kentucky has experienced this past year. So the floods are in far eastern Kentucky, near West Virginia. Kentucky is a very long state. Long. There is a lot of space between where these floods took place and where we both live. I can drive to Florida before I can drive across Kentucky, just to give you a little perspective. But the people of eastern Kentucky just keep getting hit with flash floods and ice storms. And now we have this terrible flooding. As we are recording, 28 people are known to be dead, but we also know that number is going to rise as rescuers keep reaching toward more remote parts of the community. I heard a a reporter from Eastern Kentucky describe it as beautiful country and relentless country because that's why the rescues are so hard, right? They are remote. They are secluded. There are you know, long winding roads, hills, mountains. It's hard. It's going to be hard to get to people. And even worse, they're getting more damn rain as if these people need anything else to deal with it. But Kentucky has a beautiful community-driven spirit, and it is showing up. I don't know about you, Beth, but here in Western Kentucky, I have had so many community members pile up supplies, Even the communities that are still recovering from the tornadoes, you know, packing up supplies and, you know, emergency equipment and heading to eastern Kentucky to feed these people to help in any way they can. So, you know, it is in these moments that we, you know, see humanity shine through intense tragedy and struggle. I really like how Governor Bashir has embraced this idea of Team Kentucky because you saw mm-hmm. Eastern Kentucky really reach for Western Kentucky during the tornadoes, yep. and that's being reciprocated now. I also feel like that is a good framework as we start to talk about what are we going to do because this isn't going to be the last one. Yep. Especially as we think about, and I'm glad to hear more conversation about this, the fact that the topography of Eastern Kentucky is hard, but it is now... It's been stripped of some of the features of that topography that would protect against Mm -hmm. some of this terrible flooding. You know, all of the mining that's been done in that part of the state, there's a real attitude sometimes uh, in commentary about Kentucky, like these people do it to themselves. I've noticed that even some otherwise fine articles about Kentucky will start with like, well, I'm talking to Laureen in front of her trailer and she says she's not moving. And there's just this attitude like, how could people choose this for themselves, right? And I think that we're doing a better job talking about the fact that a lot of this wasn't chosen. Outside interest came in and took a lot from this region and have left it in this state. And of course, people want to stay here. It's where their homes and their families are. Even if their material possessions, what little they had is pretty well gone now. And so I appreciate the governor's focus in particular on talking about like, we got to get some infrastructure here to help because it won't be the last time. Also, not for nothing, Appalachia is beautiful country. Just beautiful, soul-affirming country. And, you know, we have a lot of conversations around climate change about poor countries around the world 
suffering some of the consequences. But that is true here in the United States, that poor communities suffer the consequences. And that's most certainly what's happening right now in Eastern Kentucky. And, you know, speaking of Team Kentucky, we will put the link in the show notes to donate to the Governor Brashear's Team Kentucky Foundation and the fund that provides relief. They you know, raised enormous amounts of money for Western Kentucky. They're doing the same now for Eastern Kentucky to help these communities as much as we can. And I think this conversation surrounding climate change is an excellent transition into our next conversation, which is what's happening in Congress. You know, they listen, I'm so proud. They have been working, Beth. They have been working in July. You know, I was thinking about like an overall assessment of the Biden presidency and how you cannot discount Nope. His ability to just get out of the way and foster Mm -hmm. an environment where things can get done. Just, you know, whatever you think of what's happening, the fact that things are happening, this is a lot of really substantive legislation getting done. And that's exciting. And it feels like very functional and normal and grown up. Yeah. I mean, we've done this show for a long time and we've spent... A lot of years talking about we have all these struggles, all these major challenges in front of us, and it doesn't feel like Congress is doing anything. And now it feels like they're doing the things. I like it. I like this feeling. I like to, you know, open up my email newsletters and see, hey, you know what? Joe Manchin struck a deal. We got that. Now we're going to have a new name for it. It's not, hey, listen, it's not an acronym. Are you happy about that? I'm so happy about that. I know. I know. Okay. So it's just the Inflation Reduction Act because that was his previous opposition to Build Back Better, which we got, you know, there was headlines mid-July. He's out. We're done. We're not going to talk about the climate change, Build Back Better, progressive agenda, part of the reconciliation anymore. Joe doesn't want to do it. So I was like, I, I've st- I was not letting myself and my emotions rise and fall. With the journey of Joe Manchin, I've learned that over these last two years. And that was a good that was a good choice on my part because two weeks later they were like, JK, him and Chuck, mainly his staff, because Joe Manchin got COVID, which I think might have actually been <laughs> the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back and got things done. Um, the staff negotiated like totally in secret this new Inflation Reduction Act. And should we walk through what's in it? Yes. So it begins with Climate change legislation. Historic. Historic legislation. Tax credits and rebates for renewable technologies like solar panels. I have become a solar panel believer this summer. We put them on our house. And I believe in what solar panels can do. Wind turbines, heat pumps, energy efficiency, and electric vehicles. As Matt Iglesias points out in his newsletter today, this is not the package that environmental groups wanted to go in to build back better. It is, in fact, a better package for the Listen, environment. Louder for those in the back. I love starting our show first show back with this story. This is amazing. Okay, so here's the thing that I think is so amazing and important about this is that all the reporting is that it wasn't just like the environmental groups. It was incredible work by them, just like laying the foundation Incredible negotiation. You have the staff. You also have all these corporate groups wanting to invest in solar and renewable energy, wanting to invest in West Virginia, calling up Joan being like, listen, this is not going to happen without the federal government investment. Like we, it's just, you can see all these different parties coming together. I think even Bill Gates called him up and was like, Joe, what, what do we got to do to make this happen? And you're like you said, even... Joe Biden being like, I'm just going to get out of the way. I'm Mm going to get out of the way. We're going to get this done. Y'all do what you need to do. And I just think it is an incredible testament to our government working properly, to just this negotiating. And honestly, even I I know some people are going to agree with me, even the secretive part, because this cannot happen like this complex of a negotiation with all these different players with the stakes so high cannot happen publicly with protesters on Joe Manchin's houseboat. You know what I mean? That and this is part of a, I think, healthy trend of abandoning the idea that you only get one bite at the apple. You know, Democrats came in thinking, we have one shot. We got to do everything in Build Back Better, all of it. And Mm -hmm. I know that it's frustrating and it's slow and it's tedious to go bill by bill by bill. 
But that is the way our government was designed to work. And I think you do ultimately get some better outcomes when you go bill by bill. So does this have everything that we need to do forever on climate change? No, this will necessitate further action. We get this many electric vehicles out on the road, we're going to have to have some more electricity in our grid. That is going to require more action. But a momentum of working on problems step by step is healthy. And I think showing that it can be done this way is really important. Now, make no mistake, they did put some other things in this bill. Of course they did. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a climate change bill, for sure, for sure. It's also a health care bill because when the Affordable Care Act first passed, there was an income gap, really limited people's participation in the marketplace with government subsidies. So they dropped those a little while back and opened it up. I I read one um, report that it opened up to about 7 million more families, but that was about to expire. Didn't want that. So now they've extended it past the next presidential election. So that part of the Affordable Care Act is extended, important, and paid for, because this was was Joe's problem. Apparently, he spent a lot of time on the phone with Larry Summers saying, listen, we're not going to make inflation worse. We're going to play for this. And how are they going to pay for it? Well, another big thing Democrats have been talking about for approximately a million years the entire time I've been conscious as a Democrat inside the political arena is negotiating drug prices with Medicare. So this bill allows them to finally start on it. This is, again, like you were just saying, are we, did they check this off and we're done? Oh, no, 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 no. This is just an on-ramp. This is an on-ramp to negotiating drug prices for Medicare. But I mean, it just seems so important. It seems bananas to me that our government lets the drug company set the prices that the government pays for Medicare. That's that's bananas. So this this bill contains like an on-ramp. It's not going to be everybody all at once, but they're going to start with a few bills and then and then slowly ramp it up. Well, and I will say, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure that it's bananas. And so for me, it's comforting to say, let's start, let's try and see let's what the results it. are and right. then tweak and learn what we can learn and then expand if it's working and contract if it's not working. Like that's a good way to problem solve. Yep. Yep. So they're going to do that. They're going to start negotiating some drug prices. They are going to invest in tax enforcement because they were like, well, raising taxes seems to make people uncomfortable. So let's start with better tax enforcement because there was all this information, all these studies that say like if you they're going to invest $80 billion in the IRS. And if they do that over a decade, they will collect an additional $203 billion in taxes. There's just this huge gap between what people are supposed to pay and what they actually pay. And so they're hoping by investing some money in the IRS, they can bring in more taxes without actually raising them. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about this either. But um... <laughs> now what's the problem with what's What's wrong with this? What, what What's your concern? I just would like to see this directed toward the right players. Because a lot of enforcement dollars deployed by anyone can look like going after people who cannot afford to fight back for easy wins Mm. or people who can afford to fight back and and getting significant dollars through hard wins. For me, it's the execution of this that I worry about, not the the concept. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I feel optimistic. Because people, it's you know, people are going to follow up. People are going to pay attention. They don't want to. They want, especially since they had to drop ultimately their you know raising taxes on the richest Americans. To me, this is a place where we we can fulfill some of those campaign promises and say at least we're having the wealthiest Americans pay what they're supposed to pay in taxes through this enforcement. So I, I feel optimistic. We will fo- we will follow back up with that. Um, they are also closing some loopholes. That includes a 15% minimum tax on corporations with profits over $1 billion. The current corporate tax rate is 21%. And so many companies, you read these headlines all the time, AT&T, Amazon, Exxon, pay way less than that. So they're hoping this will raise about $313 billion. And then they're also closing the carried interest loophole. Now, this has been a campaign promise not as long as the Medicare one, but for a long time, because private equity and some investment managers, they get to treat their earnings as capital gains. We all know that capital gains are taxed at a lower rate. And so instead of treating those as capital gains, they're going to close that loophole and treating them as income. Now, Kristen Cinema was not invited to the secret negotiations. This is a big deal for her. She gets a lot of donations from the private equity industry. So we'll we'll see how she feels about this. But I 
Again, maybe it's just my optimism because we're recording on Monday and the month starts on a Monday. Y'all know how I like that. It just fills me with all this, like, big beginning energy. I don't think Kristen's going to get in the way. I think she'll get some things she wants, but I don't think she's going to stop it. I would personally not want to be the lone holdout on this over my defense of private equity. If if I were a politician of any party, I would not want to be the lone holdout over that issue. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So, again, it doesn't include everything. It's definitely smaller than Build Back Better originally started. But can we talk can we talk inside baseball a little bit on this bill for a minute? Sure. Beth? How much how much joy did I get out of all this reporting that this the secretive negotiations were a part of, as it was called in one report, out McConnell and McConnell, because Mitch McConnell had threatened to hold up the Chips Act, which we've talked about on the show before, investment in manufacturing. Chips here in the United States, we all saw over COVID how bad it was that they're basically all made in Taiwan. He was going to hold that up if they tried to do this <laughs> reconciliation package. So they passed it. They passed the Chips Act. Incredible. Again, not more bipartisan, major legislation. Congress is actually getting things done. And then, like, right after that, we're like, oh, by the way, we struck a deal with Manchin. He was mad. You could tell. Mitch was mad. I just think some reality struck the United States Senate. Over the month of July, where we had Democrats realizing we do not have enough of a majority to do everything that we've ever wanted to do. What can we accomplish? And for Republicans recognizing we are the minority party right now. (laughs) We are. And we are going to have to win some more seats if we want Mitch McConnell to really be able to set the agenda forever and always. And this is the kind of maneuver that to me is perfectly acceptable. When you talk about wanting Democrats to play political hardball, this is fair. They are the majority party. They get to do this. And there was nothing untoward here. It's This gives me an opportunity to talk about something that I've been wanting to talk about anyway. This is why I love John Fetterman's ads. I love him taking it to Dr. Oz over where he lives. That's fair. Mm -hmm. There's nothing dirty about that. He's doing it in a way that's kind of fun. It has some joy and humor about it. And that's the kind of political savvy that I want to see from this party to counter the threat that I believe is posed often by Mitch McConnell's leadership and by candidates like Mehmet Oz. So I'm just I'm I'm just very pleased with the way that Democrats are taking through things. And the other nice thing about this is that having Republicans on the defense about votes for gay marriage and votes to support veterans and a lot of what we're Mm -hmm. about to talk about is where they belong. They are in the minority view for the country on those issues. They should have their backs against the wall. There should be clarity. That's the other nice thing about taking this one thing at a time. There's nothing to hide behind on those votes. Yep, absolutely. And, I mean, the CHIPS Act, to have played politics with the veterans legislation was terrible. To try to play politics with this was terrible. This is a national security issue. Um, You know, as we saw over July with the phone call between Xi Jinping and President Biden, now we're talking about Nancy Pelosi maybe taking a trip to Taiwan. She hasn't said yet. Like this, that situation is intensifying and our national security is at risk with this current chip manufacturing situation. And so I'm thrilled, thrilled that this legislation passed. I think you're exactly right. I think that on the defense about these issues is where they belong. And I think let's let that's probably a good transition to talk about the Dobbs fallout, because that feels like the new energy surrounding abortion and gay marriage is that if you are on the outside of the majority view of Americans, you're feeling that profoundly right now. One of the most interesting things that I think has happened in the Dobbs fallout is in West Virginia. So you had a court temporarily block an abortion prohibition and the legislature goes back into work to pass a new one in the meantime. Like, okay, you blocked that. We'll try again. And it's still a terrible law that I am not in favor of at all. But it's interesting to see what it looks like when legislatures realize like, oh, this isn't signaling legislation anymore. Mm -hmm. And so they have said, like, they have an explicit exception for ectopic pregnancies. Like, suddenly you have to write a law that grapples with reality, not just your vision of abortion as being something that only happens with, like, 
college students who decided they didn't want a baby, right? Like, I feel like there's always this one narrative advanced in signaling legislation. And now that the laws are going to go into effect and the public is like, excuse me, reality is not your one story. You know, Mm -hmm. we have to we have to do this differently. No, I totally agree. And it it feels like more and more, you know, stories are coming out. Obviously, we had the just horrendous, tragic, as much language as I can layer on top of the situation to describe a 11-year-old pregnant having to cross state lines um, to get an abortion, which happened between Ohio and Indiana. Um, you have Beto has an incredibly powerful ad right now um, with a Texas woman and the, the, you know, horrendous situation she faced with a wanted pregnancy and a needed abortion. And so it just feels like that, like you said, like that the reality of this situation is just rushing all over people. Um, and we're I, I just think we're at the very beginning of this this journey, trying to figure out how this all settles, what this is going to look like. As we said in our show, you know, the day the decision came out, women are going to be harmed in the meantime. Women are going to die in the meantime. Um, It feels like we're in this very intense, still in this very intense, just like learning for some people um, and sort of calibration for the rest of us to figure out what this what this new reality is moving forward. And so in the wake of that, you have the House take a vote on contraception and you have a lot of Republicans vote against what the hell? federal protection for contraception. Including have, my own representative. I'm sure yours as well. Oh, yes, of course. And then we have a gay marriage protection discussion going on. Now, the Respect for Marriage Act is really interesting because it would have the federal government recognize same-sex marriage, and it would require states to recognize valid marriages from other states. It would not require every state to recognize same-sex marriage with that happens within its borders. Own borders, So yeah. it's, it is not, there, there is no conceivable reason to be against this bill if yeah. you look at it that way, right? They have really kind of said to Republicans, let me take all of your chief objections and consider them and put them into this bill and bake it in. And now we're still having trouble getting the votes. I think that will pass eventually. Yeah. But because of this fit that Republicans are throwing right now, we have a delay on that. Yeah. So Susan Collins came out and said, like, well, since you privately negotiated within the majority party, get out of here, sister. Listen, and I'm I'm I have I have found some room in my heart for Susan Collins. I do think she's been doing a lot of good. She's been hard at work. work. I want to say that. I want to say that and also get out of here thinking this is what you, where you're going to make your stand. Get out of here. This Good is one. Luck. Good where luck you, to you, sister. Where you just think, who's your friend who can say like, no, uh-uh. that's the wrong. Not this one. You want to be one, the person who says this is really important. I urge my colleagues to rally around it despite the politics. That's where you mm-hmm. want to be on this. Yep. Yep. So Congress has been hard at work. We're proud of them, aren't we, Beth? Mm-hmm. I'm so proud. I will not let perfect be the enemy of the good. That's what That's I have to say exactly about That's exactly right. And they aren't either. And we yep. applaud you. We applaud you, Congress. Not something we get to do here a lot on Pantsy Politics. And I like this new era. Me too. So next up, we're going to talk about the January 6th committee. We're going to talk about some of the things that have been happening around the world after this break. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit.
If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. So we had two January 6th committee hearings, Beth, while we were on vacation. And I told everybody, you know what? I don't mind Liz disrupting my vacation. It was not it was not a burden to watch her hearings from Italy and France. That's how good they are. Just want to say that right now. Well, it similarly just feels like, oh, oh, our government can work. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. these hearings just feel so functional and adult and serious. That it's yep. a joy, even as they're talking about something that is really terrifying and is a threat that is not going away. Yeah, the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers one was a lot. And it felt like they sped through it, which I understand. But it was a lot. You know, domestic terrorism is not a pleasant topic. Um, domestic terrorism in the pursuit of overturning our government is an even less pleasant topic. But that was the first the first hearing that we had in mid-July. Then they had another one pretty quickly over the 187 minutes that Trump sat in his dining room and watched TV as a coup was launched on the United States Capitol. And then we learned that they're going to be back. We're going to have a season two in September. On the Proud Boys Oath Keepers one, I'm really sympathetic to the position of trying to say to the public, this is scary and it is important. And also, I don't want to be an infomercial for it. I just think that's a yeah, hard Yeah, that's so walk. hard. It is really difficult. I think they did a good job of emphasizing, you know, the the presence of these groups, what motivates these groups. I thought the testimony from the people that had left the groups was incredibly powerful. And I think it was essential to emphasize, like, sort of the extremists present on that day. Just again, to just fight back to this, like, well, this was a this was a rally that went wrong. Like, I think you they had to they had to do it. They had to go there. They had to show us. They had to really emphasize that some of the people there had a plan. Lots of the people there had a plan, including Donald Trump, for what it was worth. And I so I, I think you're right, though. I think that is that is difficult, but it was essential and it felt like, 
you know, they, they, it was another piece of the puzzle that had to, to fall into place. I had a little Twitter back and forth uh, that was somewhat tense with someone mm-hmm. over them saying that this that these hearings are a show trial. And I said, well, they're not Please. a trial at all. So that's not true. But they said they just feel like it's a character assassination on everyone who supported Trump. And I don't know how you can watch the hearings and feel that because every single witness is someone who at some point in a very significant way supported Donald Trump. And most of them up until the very last minute supported Donald Trump. And many of them, you know, Sarah Matthews is still working for very conservative causes Matt Pottinger, as he sat there, was defending the work of the Trump administration with no pushback from the committee. I just kind of feel like all of this sense that it's a setup, it's a show, it's entertainment, misses the fact that, like, Adam Schiff has been silent in all of these hearings but one. Jamie Raskin has been silent in all of these hearings but one. You have people really focused in on what matters here and allowing this story to primarily be told by the Republicans on the committee through Republican witnesses. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in that that says we think all of these people are fundamentally irredeemable. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the Justice Department's role? I've had a conversation with a family member who's very frustrated. Like, why didn't they why didn't they start there? Why didn't they charge him? We all knew the second. Why have they charged Donald Trump yet? Like, now that this evidence is building up, and I was like, well, they can't, the the Justice Department can't just take the committee's findings and be like, here we go. They have to do their own investigation. (laughs) Like, they can't just take it as gospel truth and start charging people. But that that definitely feels like what some some people watching the hearings want, for sure. I understand why people want that. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. also think there are so many legal issues that this committee does not have to contend with. That will be part of trying to charge Trump if the Justice Department goes there. And even though I have become a believer through this process that going there is probably needed and appropriate, that's still a really big deal. You cannot take that shot unless you're positive that you can win. And it's really hard to be positive that you can win. Think about what it would be like to try to get a jury in a trial of Donald Trump. There are just so many issues here that are really big issues. And I think taking it seriously not only means being open to the possibility that a president gets charged, a former president gets charged with a crime, perhaps a a current candidate for office gets charged with a crime, (laughs) both big deals, but also recognizing that that process will be hard, it will be thorny, it will entail matters that will affect us for generations. And so... I trust Merrick Garland Mm -hmm. to be deliberative and still urgent about this. Just just this should go slow. This should go slow because it's a big deal. I think it's hard because I think so much of the hearing we've talked about the media cycle and keeping people's attention. But like the public's attention is not an essential ingredient for the justice system. I don't think it's unimportant. Let me be clear. And I think Liz Cheney understands how important it is to sort of build the public case. But that sort of that momentum, that that sense of urgency, I think that can lead to mistakes. And so we don't want that. We want this is important enough, just like you said, that it has to be done correctly. Now, we'll say this before we move on. It sounds like all is not sunshine and roses on the January 6th committee and that there's been some internal debate, frustration with a common new, a new midterm strategy from the Democrats, which is funding the bananas extremist primary candidates in some Republican primaries. Now, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to say the Democrats. Like, what does that even mean? These are kind of like, these are some people making this decision. This is not like, I don't think this is like Biden gathered everybody up and said, this is what we're going to do, guys. Like, some people are taking this strategy. It is a, you know, decentralized party, just like any, Repub- you know, just like the Republican Party. Like, there, there is, there are a lot of strategies going on at once. You might disagree with this one, but it is it is seems like it's it's causing some problems inside the committee. Well, it's happening at the party level, right? Isn't Sean Patrick Maloney's committee like making some of these decisions where you have the the party funding right. some of these but the party what? Like right like the Democratic Senate, the Democratic House, the Demo- like there's all these different committees and funding and like also often the party level organization is so different 
than like what's happening in Congress and and specific members or particularly with the president. And so like it's still even when there are party level committees, it's still pretty decentralized. You know what I mean? I hear that. I don't give that kind of grace to the GOP, though. So I want to be sure that I'm not going out Mm, of my way here for the Democrats either. I mean, I think this is terrible and I think there should be quarreling within the committee about this, because if you're trying to say to the public, these are existential issues for our country, uh, then you should do everything possible to defeat those candidates. If you if your choice is between Peter Meyer and a candidate who denies that Trump lost the election, then you should take Peter Meyer, even if, if it means that a Democratic candidate might lose. And I know that there are people who want Democrats to play that game. They say Republicans cheat, Republicans lie, they're dirty. This isn't even cheating. It's just us trying to tilt the scales for ourselves. I'm sorry. This is where I do think Democrats should be on a higher road than this. I, I do think that it is dangerous to have candidates, even emerging from primaries who could still be beaten in the general election, who deny the election results. And and so I'm I'm with the people who are very frustrated about this. I think it's really hard because I think you can make I mean, it's just it's a it's a not a new argument to the ends justify the means. Right. Like if we're talking about Democrats losing control, well, what's the future of the January 6th committee? We all know that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that is the very difficult calculus. I'm not saying I would come down on the the side of the strategy, but I'm also not going to act like it's an easy, no, we don't do this. We we could never do this either, because I don't think that's fair. The whole point of this committee, though, is to say, like, actually, the ends don't justify the means. Right. People rioted at this Capitol because they believed that the ends would justify the means. We all love Liz Cheney right now because she has said, no, the means matter more than my personal ends. Right. Right. And so I just I would like us to adopt that as a as a pretty blanket proposition. I think that's fair. And I think it would be easier to defend if the extremist candidates were just extremists in the normal ways, I don't really, <laughs> I don't know, like not in the democracy denying ways, but just like in the, the plain old normal ways. Yes. And then I think that you could maybe justify the strategy a little bit more. But I do think it, it does, it, it it conflicts and makes difficult the work of the committee without a doubt, without a doubt. So I understand their frustration. I think extremists in the normal way is an opportunity for us to say a few words about this new forward party. I know lots of you wanted to hear about that. I'm sure it's something we'll come back to. I was thinking about this party, and I feel like I should be extremely enthusiastic about this, right? This should check a lot of boxes for me. And instead, I feel more curious about what they're going to do and what kind of impact it will have. But what you said, like, triggered this for me because I was thinking about if this party is popping up in races where you have two candidates, maybe two ideologically pretty extreme candidates, like a very, very conservative versus very, very progressive matchup, and they want to try to run someone and see the impact of that, that seems okay to me. It seems mm-hmm. not okay to me if you have, like, an election denier in that mix. Then you have to really think about, who am I taking votes from? On a national level, I don't think we need this because we're kind of getting it. That's the governance we were just talking about. The Joe Manchin-led group in the Senate that is going to be able to get some of this legislation over the finish line, I don't see how that's materially different from mm-hmm. what the forward party is talking about. I do think we could use that kind of disruption in mayoral races, school board races, races for the state house in a county like mine that's not going to elect a Democrat. Could you use a new kind of branding to get some new energy together? I think so. So I'm curious about what they'll do. I just hope they're really smart about it, recognizing the threat that exists out here. And and I think the kind of people who are involved here, I I think they will be. But we'll see. Yeah. I'm I'm excited by the names on the list. I think— you know, distinguishing between legislative goals and political goals, especially with inside a, a new political party. I'm sure the the emphasis on political goals. I think you're right about legislation, but I think politically there's still a lot of room for this up and down the ballot. So I am. I'm 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 with you. I'm interested and curious to see what they do next. It seems like it's this is people are hungry for this. Like they're to 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 break free from some of the polarization in our political environment. 
there needs to be some major disruption, I think. And so I hope I hope they find it. I, I do. We wanted to check in around the world. We had a couple big developments. Well, it was a big story. I'm not sure any big developments came from President Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia. He had said during his campaign that he was going to, you know, make the crown prince a pariah. But then he met with the crown prince. There was a fist bump. I love it when that stuff becomes the story for a couple of days. Beth just rolled her eyes. You guys can't see that, but I think that's the appropriate response. You know, I think that this was motivated, uh, strongly motivated by the pressure of inflation and gas prices, which was a huge story, continues to be a huge story, obviously, was leading the headlines through much of the month of July. And so, you know, he goes he goes over to Saudi Arabia. He needs the the OPEC participants, particularly Saudi Arabia, to help relieve some of this pressure. I'm not sure if he he came back with a deal, but I think like these sort of short-sighted write-ups of these trips just like completely miss the point. We don't have any idea and probably won't for a long time. What happened behind the scenes on this trip? Was there any momentum built? And it's like, that's the name of the game in foreign policy. It's like these little baby steps, negotiations, this built, we started this conversation, we worked on this with regards to Iran. And it's just like, I think these these trips become the story when it's so silly because they're just such a tiny piece of a much, much bigger journey when it comes to foreign policy. They're tiny, but then they're also huge because the symbolism in foreign policy is everything. Mm -hmm. And it is a big deal to give this kind of respect and legitimacy to a regime that murdered an American journalist that had this kind of involvement in 9-11. So it's hard. I feel a sense of crisis right now in myself over foreign policy, to be honest with you, because I didn't care about the fist bump. I thought it was so dumb that that was the story. It was the visit that bothered me and, and whether this visit made sense at all. I feel the same way about Speaker Pelosi going to Taiwan. Like, there is a part of me that understands we have to approach China carefully, that we must be in partnership as just giant countries on Earth with China. Mm -hmm. But there's another piece of me that honestly would like to hear President Biden say, how dare you tell us where our leaders can go? How dare you threaten us over that? You guys hid important, material, life-saving information about the coronavirus. You interfere in countries all over the planet all the time. You steal our intellectual property. How dare you tell us where our Speaker of the House can go if she wants to? Also, not for nothing, you just let space trash fall to the earth in big, fiery (laughs) masses. You prop up Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. Like, how dare you tell us? So... And and I would like to kind of say the same thing to Saudi Arabia. Like, we will not come grovel to you about oil. Are you kidding me? But then I understand that, that I don't want to be an isolationist yeah. and that we have to afford greater respect to nations around the world if we are to get out of some of the tragic mistakes we've made in our foreign policy in the past. So I don't I don't know. Well, it does seem like how dare you is the new sort of momentum surrounding Russia. There's been a lot of calls recently as the war in Ukraine continues to stretch off and on in truly tragic ways um, to designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. There's support for that in Congress. We'll see what happens with the Biden administration. Um, I read some really interesting reporting that, you know, Ukraine just continues and continues to call for more artillery and more sophisticated weapons, but that there's concern like, well, if we pull people out to train them on these weapons, will that give Russia a leg up? Also, there was even, you know, there's even conversations around our stockpile. Is this starting to affect our security by taking down our stockpile? And I just think it's becoming increasingly intractable, Mm -hmm. which means that it is going to be a loss for all sides. And I mean Russia, Ukraine, the European Union, the United States. There is just not a there is not a scenario at, in which you reach this point in a war, and the way in particular this war is being engaged in, where where we have winners or losers. If we ever did in wars, but in this one in particular, it just feels like we are in it. There is no. I think we've abandoned really any talk of a negotiated peace settlement. And so it is just it's so awful and heartbreaking and if and it feels like everybody's options are just shrinking. 
Well, and it's the flip side of what I'm feeling about Saudi Arabia and China, because as much as I ideologically think Russia is so wrong here, and again, how dare it? And I I agree, it is a state sponsor of terror. At the same time, the world's food supply is so dependent Mm -hmm. on these regions. Just getting grain and corn exported and fertilizer we can't starve the planet or a meaningful portion of the planet because because Putin is wrong here and because what he's done is atrocious. And I just don't know where the line exists between being pushed around by a Xi Jinping or a Vladimir Putin and and also being realistic about the options in front of us. And, and, and what is the guidepost? Is it the greatest good for the greatest number? Like, how do we ethically think through all of this? It's really... I don't envy the policymakers on this. I don't. Well, I thought the best way for us to transition out of the brutal, messy, human conflicts on Earth, which, listen, lead a lot of our headlines and news, especially over the past month, was to take us all the way into space with the James Webb telescopes and the photos we received during the month of July. I was not ready, Beth. I was not ready for these photos. It's beautiful and strangely both connecting to everything and also like disembodying to look at. I just if you can't if you can look at these photos and not have so many questions about who we are and what we're doing here, I really envy you. I just okay. So listen, no shade to NASA. Like I know what they do is hard, and they're and they're at it. And the scientists get so excited when they get these like little grainy pictures of things. And I'm, they want us to be excited, and I'm like, oh, I f- I'm like, oh, I'm so happy for you guys that you got this picture, <laughs> and I don't see anything in it. But I got my. I, you say it's a big deal. I believe you. You are smarter than me when it comes to stuff. I'm happy for you. And I thought that's what the photos from James Webb's telescope were going to be, like the little granny where they're like, this is a big deal. And you're like, I believe you and I'm excited for you. That's not what we got. It's like, holy shit, Marvel's been right this whole time. Like, this is what it looked like for real. This is what it looks like. I was blown away, just blown away. They are so beautiful. They are so high resolution. They are so far away. Like, I just, I I love it. Every new one, I'm like, just put it like a steady strip right into my arm. I love these images. I think that they are life-affirming. <laughs> like, in this just incredibly magical way, they make the word infinity so real. Oh, I just... It just puts everything in the most amazing perspective. Just, I cannot, I cannot with enough words for these images. I feel both real wonder and real melancholy around them. It just, it just creates a lot of feelings for me and a lot of questions. And I stare at them and I just think, who are we? And what is this? And which part of it are we? And how are we so tiny? And yet it all feels so big and overwhelming. It's just, it's incredible. And I'm also just truly excited for everything that will be learned. Because Mm -hmm. I know that there are people who feel a deep sense of conflict about spending this kind of money to see beautiful pictures from space. What? And I think, one, I do want to know everything that we can know. But secondarily, like, so much technology is being developed that will help people here on mm-hmm. Earth. I am confident of it. Yep. And and I'm excited for that kind of discovery, too. Yeah, those people can sit down. I'm sorry. I don't – those people can sit down. I don't really care about their concerns about how much this costs. Because spend it all, NASA. Do you need more money? I will write you a check. It probably won't get us very far. But I'm happy to contribute because I think they're incredible. And I think you're right. They'll change everything. They already have. So and love that. I loved – more photos from the James Webb Telescope. All the photos from the James Webb Telescope. Okay, do we? I, th- I mean, we didn't get close to tackling it all. Are you are you comfortable that we we tackle July as best as humanly possible? I think that we had the best July discussion available to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, we are going to talk about our personal Julys and what we did over the break. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. 
I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. All right, Beth, when we left, you said you wanted July to not require you to be in the places at certain times. You wanted Mm -hmm. July to back all the way off and feel a little freedom around your timeline. How'd it go? I did not feel frantic in July, which was nice. I did not feel overscheduled, and and that is enough for me. In that sense, Mm -hmm. I got some real relief, which was nice. I would say overall, July was not what I had planned It has involved a tremendous amount of caregiving and some deep personal concern and stress and loss. But we had some COVID in my house, like on a more minor scale. Like, you know, it's it has been a lot of things July has for me, the best of times and the worst (laughs) of times. But I did not feel like where are the minutes going every single day? And that was really nice. And I want to carry that spirit forward. I'm going to be honest. I'm so happy for you. I'm I, that is that is key. They're nice long days in July. They're nice long days in July. So for anyone who has not been following along on my Instagram, I had a, quite a different July. My family and I went to Europe for about two and a half weeks. 
Uh, we kicked it off strong. We had our first three-month follow-up for Felix's post-diagnosis diabetes, and we had a 6.0 A1C. If you know, you know this is a big deal. He's like point point mere points away from normal range for his A1C, which is, shows basically how well you're you're managing your blood glucose. So that was an incredible way to kick off the month. We were so thrilled to get that news as we headed out of town. I saw Brandy Carlisle twice. I saw her the day before we left for Europe, and then. This Saturday, like right after we got back, it's because I'm not great at dates. A couple times on our trip, I messed up some things. Poor Nicholas missed his cooking class. We missed the catacombs. And Nicholas was like, you're not good at time. And I'm like, but I am because I did all these things where we had to be in the places at the time. So like in some ways, very good at time. But in some ways, I missed some details, like the fact that these concerts were at the beginning of July and the end of July when I thought they were at the beginning of June and the end of July. Anyway, it was fine. We had a... Just an incredible, incredible trip. Now, it was hard. This was not a relaxing vacation, okay? But I was proud of myself. I didn't pack it so tight that we didn't have moments where it just felt like just beautiful. Just that awe. Like, it's just like the telescope. I love awe. I love standing in a medieval cathedral where they were—that's what they did. They built churches so you could walk in and go, and feel small. And it's just, oh, it's the best feeling. And we ate incredible food. And we saw just people warned me, listen, let me tell you the sleeper hit of this trip. Look, I love Paris. It's my favorite place on earth. We ended the trip in Paris. I love Italy. I spent five weeks there in college. But people told me about Switzerland. You told me about Switzerland. I was not ready for Switzerland. It Switzerland is a sleeper. Is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it is a mm-hmm. real sleeper. It's expensive. They're like, they will take your money in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. But you told me about Lucerne. And we only, like, were there for a couple hours. I'm so sad we were not there longer. It is the loveliest place. Isn't it, like, almost vibrating with a loveliness in Lucerne? Yes. Like, you feel it. Yeah. It's like everything's dealt. The color, the flat. The, mm-hmm. How do they get their water? It is. It's like when river. Dorothy steps into the colorful yes. eyes in Lucerne. That's exactly it. How do they get their water like that? I don't even <laughs> understand it at all. It was beautiful. Everybody following along and rooting for us and giving us recommendations was so wonderful. We had the we just we really had the most amazing time. Europe was so lovely to us. And for anybody who's tra- about to travel, I got a lot of like, was it bad though? Was it bad? We it I I don't even I don't even know how to say how like. Well, the traveling mercies lined up for us. Our flights were fine. We had we had not a single canceled train. Everything was beautiful. We had like a strike, which was not a big deal. We got in a taxi. We went to Milan. So we had a, a lovely, seamless, beautiful, amazing trip. It wasn't perfect because I had three children with me who dislike discomfort of any kind. So there was some whining. Obviously, we had to manage diabetes along the way, but really, really was special and beautiful and I'm just incredibly grateful. Came back to my my birthday and all y'all loving on me. It was it was a lot. It was a lot. I was like crying a lot when I got back. Also because of the jet lag. But it was a really, really wonderful July. And but I'm so happy to be I'm ready to be back. I'm ready. I'm ready to be back. Two weeks is the expiration date for my children. I could travel longer, but let me tell you, the two weeks is their their maximum. Their maximum travel. They're it's definitely a long. You were gone a long time. And that's it a lot. was gone a long time. It was, and we we did a lot in those time periods. Mm-hmm. So we're happy to be home. Definitely ready for school to start. And the choir said, "Amen." I know everybody out there is feeling that. I know, except we, the teachers, we, and we appreciate you so much. We, so we much, we appreciate you, so much. you, teachers we and school personnel. So <laughs> we love you so. The the <laughs> love you feel for teachers at the end of the summer is the love like no other. That's what Whitney Houston was actually singing about in that song. That's right. You cruise into August first, and you were like, "There is no one that I value as much as more than a who teacher. work in schools." No one. That's right. No one. Literally, <laughs> no one. All right. We love you guys. We are so happy to be back here with you. Um, We will have our last episode of the Now What series on Friday, and then we'll be back with our regularly scheduled program next week. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. 
Martha Brunitsky, Linda Daniel, Allie Edwards, Janice Elliott, Sarah Greenup, Julie Haller, Helen Handley, Tiffany Hassler, Emily Holiday, Katie Johnson, Katina Zuganellis Kasling, Barry Kaufman, Molly Kors, The Creeps, Lori Ladau, Lily McClure, Emily Neasley, The Hattons, Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Katie Steigers, Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Catherine Vollmer, Amy Whited, Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Ashley Thompson, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. Nicholas is answering it. <laughs> That's the one nice thing about being in Livermore. There's no pop-ins. <laughs> when you're on a farm, no pop-ins. <sighs> no pop-ins.